Well, yeah, good morning and happy Easter. My name is Scotty. Uh, I get the privilege of shepherding this group of people into what God has for us. And that's a process of listening to God, listening to the people that call this place their home uh, and together trying to figure out what, it, what is it that God has for us as we minister to this part of the world. So thanks for coming and joining us. Um, I want to start with a, a picture here. You'll see I, I've not changed a bit. Um, this is a picture from uh, 2007. So I finally hit that age where I look at pictures and I'm like, that was a really long time ago. And in my head, it still feels recent. Right? Anyone identify with that? Um, this was uh, taken in Israel. Mon and I uh, had the privilege of going to Israel together uh, and spending a semester over there studying the land, roaming from top to bottom, hiking all over the place as part of an amazing program that was there. Um, it was a long time ago. We actually started dating the day before we left for Israel. Try that one. Uh, so go from not dating to like 16 hours a day, every day. Uh, that'll sort that one. Uh, let me move on though. Um, this is what I want to talk about. One of the, there are, Israel is a life-changing experience, right? Getting over there changes your life. There are lots of things that stand out to me from my time at Israel. Some of them are really obvious. Some of them are so bizarre. You're like, why all these years later is that the thing that stands out over everything else? And one of the things that stands out the most is the water, the water in Israel. So this is a picture uh, early on in our semester there. Um, I've got to give you backstory to explain this. Uh, we went to Israel. We were there for 15 weeks. My luggage got lost and it took nine weeks to get there. So I had none of the stuff that I needed to survive in Israel for a three-month period of time. Uh, and so what happened the day I got there was basically all the guys brought me one offering of an item of clothing so that I had clothes for the duration of my trip. So this is one of the early hikes. I don't have a hat yet. Um, and so the best I could do was shove an old t-shirt over my head to try and block the sun. But... This is a hike that we went on right at the start. So when you're in Israel, you're doing a lot of hiking. You build up your resilience kind of as your trip goes on. So right at the beginning, we don't have a lot. And they've warned us time and time again, you've got to make sure you take plenty of water. And this day, we we're going to hike through this wadi. It's the Wadi Kelt, it's called. So a ravine uh, between Jerusalem Jericho, um, potentially the direction that the disciples would, uh, the, the, the people would have gone, the disciples, uh, the Israelites would have gone when they were on their way to the city of Jericho. And so as we're going, you know, it's hot. It is boiling. You are hiking for hours. And the whole point in this hike is you're walking through the ravine to get to this point where you see Jericho appearing before you. And so they tell you, bring loads of water. And so we fill up water at the start. You've got your water bottle. You're hiking along. It's thirsty work. And so you take swigs of your water. The fun thing that happens, don't know if you know this. I, I saw this post the other day that, that really messed with my brain a little bit. It said, the flavor of water is its temperature, right? The flavor of water is its temperature. So as we're walking for hours through this ravine in the beating hot sun, gradually your water gets lower in quantity and higher in temperature. So the more thirsty you get, the less satisfying the water is. And then you get to the end, and this is almost every hike that you do in Israel. You get to the end of the hike, and as you move forward, there is a drinking station, and this station is like an outside water fountain that is dug into the water aquifers that exist under the Sanamanian limestone. 
I, I studied when I was there, right? So <laughs> the geology of the land. So there's these giant limestone deposits. Underneath are these underground lakes of water and they tap in to, to these and they produce these fountains. So you walk up to this fountain, you put your water bottle underneath it and in the blazing hot sun comes out the most ice cold chilled water that is just the sweetest, most natural thing that you will ever drink. And we would fill up our water bottle and you would take a swig and that moment of that ice cold water going down my throat at the end of a big long hike in the blazing sun in Israel is just one of the sweetest things that you'll ever have happen in your life. <laughs> like you can see, I'm reliving it. Like this is, how many years are we now? Like 17 years later and I still remember like it was yesterday, the impact of that water. Um, our thirst is a gift. Right? We know biologically you can last about 30 days without food. You can last three days without water. Your body's 60% water. And so when you don't have water, your body starts drinking its own water source. And you become extremely depleted, dehydrated. You lose your ability to function. Our thirst is a gift. Because our thirst reminds us that we've got to supply our body with the water that it needs to live. Thirst is a gift. I want to jump ahead and look at a, a moment in scripture um, that we often gloss over in the story of Jesus and his crucifixion. Before we look at the verse, you can turn your Bible to John 19 if you've got it. Before we get there, I just want you to think about this. Our appetite is one of the first things, like if, if you want to diagnose, you know, something's wrong with you in this season of life, one of the things that often disappears is your appetite, right? You're heartbroken, you don't want to eat, you're stressed, you don't want to eat, our appetite disappears. So these appetites, our hunger and our thirst point to our health or when something is disrupted in them, they point to our stress. I want you to think, how many times have you had a headache? The first thing you do is grab some Tylenol you don't think about the fact that you're probably dehydrated and all you needed was a glass of water. Let me ask you this question. How many times do you feel thirsty and rather than going to the sink for a glass of water, you go to the coffee machine for a cup of coffee? And you put into your body a diuretic that actually forces your body to purge its fluids rather than replenishing the foods that we need. Um, our relationship to this appetite is really important. So Jesus has this moment uh, in the Gospels, uh, when he's hanging on the cross, what's happened up to this point? Jesus has been arrested. He has been beaten. He has been brutally mocked. They've uh, nailed him to the cross. They've put above it this sign that says, you're the king of, king, the king of the Jews. And he's erected on this cross and he spends all morning hanging with blood dripping out of the holes in his arms under the blazing hot sun. Uh, he's asphyxiating. So the whole point of crucifixion is it's stretching your body, it's stretching your arms so tight that you're struggling to breathe. You've got these nails in your hands or in your wrists that are ripping with the weight of your body. Your feet are typically nailed like this onto a stake in front of you. So you have an option. You can either hang and let your arms be ripped apart or you can put your weight on the nail that's in your feet so that your feet start to rip apart and the blood starts pouring out your feet. 
And so basically the process of crucifixion was you put your weight on your feet for a little bit to give your arms relief until you couldn't bear that anymore and then you would fall on your arms. And then that would pull the holes open more so that the blood would drip more, you'd asphyxiate more, and when you finally couldn't breathe enough, you'd stand on your feet and go through the excruciating agony under the beating hot sun. You've got this moment as Jesus is struggling to breathe. Like I, I know what it's like struggling to breathe as I'm hiking through this wadi in Israel and I'm desperate for water. Here's Jesus hanging on the cross, struggling to breathe. His body is parched. It's dehydrated. When was the last time they had food or drink? Probably the last supper on Thursday night. He may have gotten something in prison, but, but chances are that he's been starved up to this point of food and drink. His throat, it's parched. And John writes this, later, Jesus on the cross, knowing that everything has now been fulfilled and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he'd received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I am thirsty. Not the moment that we tend to reflect on the most when it comes to the cross. We think more about the it is finished. But Jesus cries out, I am thirsty. Our human condition is a condition of thirst. I want you to think about the things that we are thirsting for right now in our lives. You are thirsty. You don't need to raise your hands for this, but how many people in the room wrestle with loneliness? You look at people around you, you long for deeper connection, you long for better community, you long for someone that would know you fully and deeply and intimately. You're holding on to secrets that you wish someone could hold with you. You are lonely. You spend most of your days longing for relationship, thirsting for connection with other people. How many of you are in the room and dealing with older age and you look at life and you think, I, can't, I don't have the energy that I used to have. My body doesn't work the way it used to work. When I feel myself off balance, my legs don't work fast enough to catch me. I'm in chronic pain and I just long, some, t- some days I long for heaven as relief from the pain that I am enduring. You are thirsty for a different reality. A reality where you feel youthful again. A reality where you have the wisdom of old age without the constraints of a body that is diminishing in its energy. You long for a day when pain is gone. You are thirsty. How many of you look at the, the country that we live in and we see all the division and the anger and the bitterness. We see two political parties, none of which can provide what the world needs. And we look at the bickering and the infighting and oftentimes the terrible options that we have to choose between and you go, I wish there was a different way. I just wish someone would come up with a better system. We are thirsty for a different way of being. How many of you uh, go to work in the morning and you sit and work and, and you think, is this all there is? I wish they would trust me with more responsibility. 
I wish there was something that was more satisfying. I wish I had more freedom to engage in the things that were my passions. Why does it have to be so conflicted and so difficult? Why do I have to feel so censored and silenced? We are thirsty. Is anyone in here thirsty? Right? We live in a world where our human condition is thirsty. Think about identity. Many of you look at your life and wonder, like, who am I? I don't know who I am, what I'm called to do. I don't know what I am. And we run through life chasing one identity after another identity and all sorts of systems and groups and strategies to try and figure out who we are all the time with this primal cry inside saying, I want to know who I am. We are thirsty. Jesus on the cross utters these words. And in these words is giving the cry of all humanity, I am thirsty. There are three elements to this declaration that are pretty obvious. The first one we can call the physical reality. I've already mentioned this in part. Jesus on the cross is literally, in a physical way, thirsty. There have been all sorts of heresies in the history of the church that try and portray Jesus as not fully human. Uh, But Jesus was fully human. And so in his full humanity in the cross, he experienced all the suffering and the pain and the thirst. And so in this cry, it is the cry of Jesus in his humanity. As I said already, think about what he went through the long day, the starvation, the beating, the whipping, the mocking, having to carry a cross on his shoulder until he collapses on the ground and someone else has to carry it for him, being laid on a cross, having nails put through his hands and his feet, being hoisted up into the air and left there in pain and torture under the parched sun with nothing to wet his throat. He's thirsty physically. This cry is a simple description of the lengths that he was willing to go to to identify with us in our humanity. I think it's interesting, at this point in the story, Jesus asks for a drink. He's been offered something on the cross twice before now, and he rejected it twice. Once they try and give him vinegar that's mixed with myrrh, or some translations say gall, which they believe was a a pain-numbing substance, that they would give to him to help reduce the pain and put him in a little bit of unconsciousness to help his body die quicker. Jesus rejected it because he wanted to suffer for the people. He's offered another time later as the guards are mocking him and they hold up to tempt him and he doesn't take the drink. But at this point, for some reason, right before the end, he makes this cry, I'm thirsty. Many commentators Uh, They hypothesize, right? We don't know. We use our imagination to try and think what Jesus was going through. Many commentators say the reason Jesus asks for water at this point is to whet his mouth ready for the following statement. That he would have the energy to declare it is finished. And with those words, the fabric of the creation is changed. With those words, with his now wet tongue, he cries out a formula that describes the difference 
and how humanity will experience life from this point forward. So the first is a physical reality. The second is simply fulfilling scripture. The passage says, let me get the right words. It says, later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. Do you ever think about the quoting of scripture that happens on the cross? These are the sorts of things that my mind likes to geek out about. Was Jesus in his dying moments rehearsing scriptures and then, oh, that one's about me. I should probably speak this one now. I don't think so. Um, Was Jesus so aware of what was coming that every moment was calculated and he's like, I got to say this to fulfill what happened in the past? I don't think so. Scripture makes clear that Jesus is the living word of God. I think he's so full of the reality of who God is. He's so full of the truth of God that he can't do anything but speak it in his moments of pain. I think these people in the Psalms and in the the prophets as they're writing uh, things that they didn't realize, they're writing these truths down. God was orchestrating in them descriptions that pointed ahead to who Jesus was. So when Jesus did what Jesus did as a man who was fully God and fully human, he would naturally fulfill the things that were said. It reminds me that this moment on the cross as Jesus speaking reminds me um, of a time I was down in Antioch in the Bay Area in California with one of my good buddies, Joe, and we'd gone to, uh, it was the funeral of his pastor's uh, mother. And so we go to the house afterwards to spend time uh, with this pastor and his dad. Uh, And as we're sitting there, his dad was speaking out of his grief. And his wife had played piano, and so they asked me to play piano, and we sang a little bit, and then he'd stop and he'd speak. And I I remember being stunned because I felt like he explained all of his heart, all of the situation, all of what God was doing, and I don't think there was a single word that came out of his mouth that wasn't a scripture verse. He had spent so much time steeped in scripture that in his moment of grief and pain, the only thing that could come out was the word of God because that was the truest thing to describe his reality. I think that is what is happening with Jesus here. A couple of the scriptures that are being fulfilled at this moment, Psalm 22, my mouth is dried up like a pot shirt and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Psalm 22, Jesus is gonna quote from it or has already quoted from it actually earlier in the story, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A psalm about this king that would rule Israel, God's chosen, anointed Messiah. Another one in Psalm 69, another pointing ahead to this ruler of the people. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. In this moment on the cross, Jesus' declaration, I am thirsty, is fulfilling. All these messianic statements that God had made about this person who would come. Number three, and the one that I think is most pertinent for us, is it points to a spiritual reality. Jesus' physical torture, I'm thirsty, I need water, is intermingled with a spiritual reality. At the cross, this is the first time 
Jesus experiences the kind of longing that we live with every day. It's the longing that made him cry out, God, why have you forsaken me? Up till this point, he's lived in unbroken fellowship with his father. Up to this point, though he's been tempted, he's been without sin. In this moment on the cross, he's feeling the weight of the sin of the world. I think more than the weight of the sin of the world, I think for the first time, he's feeling the weight of our collective thirst for an intimacy with God that he had always known. In this moment, when he expresses the words, I'm thirsty, he's expressing the deep thirst that you and I are experiencing. Two groups of people sitting in the room right now, and I'm going to come back to this later. Some of you don't have an intimate relationship with Jesus where you've declared that he is your savior and the Lord of your life. If that's you, you are thirsting, and there is only one thing that will ever satisfy the type of thirst that you have. The other group of people in the room are people that have committed their lives to Jesus. The question for you is, are you still thirsty? Are you thirsty for him? Or are you chasing other things instead? What is the level of your thirst? One of the reasons why the reality behind this declaration, I am thirsty, is because John threads this word throughout his gospel. One of the most famous places you see this is John chapter 4, which we call the woman at the well, right? Jesus is on a journey and decides to deliberately pass through an area uh, where there is a lot of discrimination and prejudice and infighting with the Jews and the Samaritans. He deliberately goes to a watering hole, finds this woman who's been married multiple times. She's thirsty. How has she satisfied her thirst in life? By one man after another man after another man. And then he has this interaction, hey, would you get me something to drink? And she gets him some water and then he makes this statement, if you knew who I I am, you would ask me for water. And then in verse 13, Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water, talking about the water in the well, will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. There is a different source that Jesus knew about that satisfies the primal thirsts of our humanity. Continuing in John, Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Thirst, a spiritual reality pointed to in our physical experience. John 7, on the last and greatest day of this festival, Jesus stood and he says in a loud voice, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. The invitation for your primal human broken thirst to be satisfied in him. He cries it in his life. He cries it in the moment of his death. It's an invitation he's also giving to us in his resurrection. John writes Revelation and he says, Jesus he says to me, it's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost. It's free from the spring of the water of life. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Come. 
And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. And his life and his death and in his resurrection, Jesus extends the invitation to us. You're thirsty, come to me and drink. So what do we do with it? It's like, yeah, I get it. What do we do with the spiritual thirst that we experience? First of all, admit it. We have to admit the truth of our spiritual condition. You have to admit the ways your life is currently parched. I think it's easy to act like we as Christians have abundant life. We've got it all figured out. The people out there are the ones struggling in need of Jesus. But the people sitting here in this room, we are parched. There are things we're thirsting for and he wants to satisfy those longings in a deeper and fuller way. Do you have the boldness to admit to yourself the ways your life is currently parched? And do you have the boldness to admit to other people? the ways that you're finding fulfillment apart from Jesus. Once we admit it, and in part to help us admit it, we've got to examine our water supply source. What are you drinking from to quench the thirst that you feel? I said, you know, sometimes we feel thirsty And our first thought is go grab a cup of coffee. (laughs) And that coffee, as we put it in our system, forces our body to purge more water out of our system and make us more thirsty. How many of you, when you feel thirsty, instead of grabbing, or low energy perhaps, instead of grabbing a nice refreshing glass of cold water, go to the refrigerator and grab a can of Coke. Or if you're holier, diet Coke. (laughs) Right? I'm thirsty, but instead I'm going to fill my body with junk. (laughs) How many of you, when you feel lonely, instead of turning your eyes to the only one who can fulfill you in the midst of your loneliness, reach for a bag of potato chips or a slice of cake, head into the craft room and turn on the sewing machine, grab the fishing rod and head out in the boat to do anything other than turn our eyes on the only one who can quench what we're longing for. Jeremiah describes this situation in this way. The people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the source of living water. Now remember, this is God's people. This is not a message to the world. This is the people of God. They've forsaken me, the source, uh, the spring of living water. And then, sin number two, they've dug their own cisterns which can and cannot hold water. Unless you are Jesus in this room, and he's here, so I need to exclude him from this part of the conversation. Unless you're Jesus in the room, there are places in your life where you have forsaken the spring of living water and you currently are exerting energy and finances and time in maintaining broken cisterns that contain water that are damaging your life, your spirituality, and your future. That's the reality of our broken situation. Examine the sources. What are you reaching to to quench your thirst? 
You know you're drinking from the wrong sources when you see fruit in your life that doesn't resemble the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Little side note, water in the Bible is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus says, I have this spring that I can offer you, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. When we quench ourselves in the Spirit, the fruit is love, job, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Where those things are not present in your life, you're drinking from a broken cistern. Many of us look and sound more like the Israelites stuck in the wilderness than people filled with the Spirit of God. The people were thirsty for water there. Lovingly relied on the creator who can supply all of their needs. And with joy and skipping, they ran into the arms of the Savior. The people were thirsty for water and there they grumbled against Moses, against the leadership, against the people around them. And they said, why did you bring us out of Egypt and make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? The places in your life where you find yourself grumbling are the very places where you have departed from the source of life. Ouch. (laughs) Because that's to me too, right? The very places where you find yourself grumbling are the very places where you're digging and drinking from a broken cistern rather than the spring of life. So if we're thirsty, we have to admit it, we have to examine our sources, and then we have to be quenched. Jesus, with these invitations, is pointing back to other scriptures that talk about what God was going to do. One of these uh, amazing ones is Isaiah 55. Listen to these words and see all of the other things that he said in his life and in his death about thirsting. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come and buy and eat. Uh, Come buy wine and milk without any money, without any cost. It's free, right? Why spend money on things that are not bread or your labor on the things that don't satisfy? Listen to me. Eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. God's invitation to the people of the world, come you who are thirsty and I will freely give you the very stuff that you need to be satisfied. It is free. I think one of my favorite things to think about in terms of our formation and our intimacy with Jesus is he quenches our thirst in a way that leaves us thirsting for more. Here's some examples of the psalmists talking about the kind of thirst that they feel. This is the kind of thirst that we want to have in our lives. Psalm 42, as the deer pants for streams of water or as Scotty pants for water walking through the Wadi Kelt on the way to Jericho, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Psalm 63 at the beginning, you God are my God. Earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. We live in a dry and parched land that is offering us water that doesn't satisfy. I am thirsty. And Jesus says, come to me and drink. 
if you're here and you have been with Jesus, how much does your heart reflect these verses? Are you content where you are? Do you think you've arrived? If you had to rate yourself on a scale of one to 10, how true is it that your whole being is longing for God like being in a dry and parched land where there is no water? How would you rate the level of your thirst? Finally, another invitation from Jesus. I'm hoping you'll see in these words now all of these other themes and passages threaded together. As we who walk in this world tired and broken and worn out and frustrated and lonely and sexually frustrated and confused about our purpose and wanting more, uh, we found that status and climbing the, the, the ladder of business doesn't help us. We found that partner after partner after partner doesn't satisfy us. We found that it doesn't matter how much money I spend on possessions, how many cars I buy, how many quilts I sew, how many fish I catch, how many songs I write. It does not matter because it does not satisfy. In that place, when we experience that, Jesus says, come to me. All you are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you. Learn from me for I'm gentle And have a humble heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I am thirsty. We are thirsty. So I want to address the two groups of people in the room again. If you're here and you're not walking in intimate relationship with Jesus... Do you realize how thirsty you are? Do you realize that the things that you're chasing will never satisfy? Jesus is extending an invitation to you today. Come to me if you're thirsty and I will give you the water satisfies. I will give you purpose. I will give you strong identity. I will give you calling. I will give you family. I will satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. If that's you, I just want you in your heart to say, Jesus, I am thirsty. I'm coming to you. Would you give me the life-giving water? I submit my life to you. Fill me with your spirit and show me your way. In Jesus' name. To the other group of people who are here who are walking with Jesus, I ask the question, what's your level of thirst? Does your whole body long? Do the people in your life see you as a person of joy and peace and patience? Are you caught in the cycle of perpetual grumbling that evidences the broken systems that you're exerting your life maintaining? For you today is a repentance moment where we say, Jesus, forgive me for grumbling. Forgive me for drinking from cisterns that will never satisfy. Would you break down those cisterns and return my soul 
to, to long for you where it will be quenched. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to do what we've been doing for this last season. I'm going to turn you loose to have a little conversation with one another, and then we'll wrap up with worship. So let me pray and then give you an instruction. So Jesus, we thank you that you are the source of life. Lord, there's nothing wrong with thirsting. There's nothing wrong with being in a world and acknowledging that we need something different. But God, we pray that you would help us to see the things that are broken in our lives. We pray that you would stir in us a greater longing for you, that you would quench our thirst with your presence and with your power. And then as that stirs inside of us, that our longing for you would increase and make us more effective, that life of Christ flowing through us to help become agents that provide the life-giving water to the people who are parched around us. So God, thank you for your death. Thank you for your resurrection. And thank you for your invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want you to turn to a couple of people around about you. We're going to take a couple of minutes and just answer this question. What are the broken cisterns that you are looking to instead of Jesus? Take a moment and pray for one another and then we'll close in worship.